This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And today we have two guests. We have Sean Dill and Lacey Brooke. They are authors of None of Your Business, which is a new book coming out. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about their background. Uh, We're going to talk about the work they did with the specific chiropractic centers uh, and scaling that business. Interesting story, I'm sure. I'm curious to get into it, learn more about the background. Sean, Lacey, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us, Bruce. We appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit about background. So how did you get into business originally? What was the story there? Tell us a little bit about the chiropractic centers and what you learned from a scaling a business, scaling a service-based business. What were the takeaways for you? Well, you know, we're both chiropractors by trade, by profession. Mm-hmm. And so we both have a big passion for the chiropractic part of what we do, servicing the world. You know, when you when you go to school, you have this vision, right? Like I'm going to change the world. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think we I think we both were cut off of that same, you know, cloth. And we, uh-huh. that that's where we, we were when we graduated. Now I graduated in nineteen ninety five. Okay. Um, considerably earlier than than lately. <laughs> we're gonna date ourselves here. All right. <laughs> And then when I graduated in 1995, it was an interesting time in healthcare. And so you know, it was the advent of managed care, insurance changes were happening. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I was 24 years old and I, you know, I did what every know-it-all 24-year-old did. I moved to uh, Costa Rica. And so that's actually <laughs> where I started my practice. Um, oh, interesting. And, yeah. and frankly, the, the first year was terrible. I didn't speak Spanish. It was it was very rough. And I would say that at the end of the first year sort of began my journey into learning business. I mean, this yeah. revelation that, you know, if I'm going to be able to eat, I'm going to have to figure out how to be a good <laughs> business person. Yeah. Well, I think it's pretty typical. I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of folks that get trained, particularly at a a fairly sophisticated skill set, you know, whether it's medical or technology or, uh, you know, marketing. I mean, they're experts at what they do, but they have sometimes no clue about what it takes to run a business. I mean, and those are two different things. (laughs) 
Yeah, I can't agree with that more. It's really funny when you hear Sean's story. I actually went to chiropractic school uh-huh. after working in chiropractic offices for about seven years. So I thought, you know, I think, gosh, I was probably 25 at that time. Uh-huh. And, you know, much like Sean, I also thought I knew everything. So I thought working a front desk of an office meant that I knew business, right? Yeah. So I yeah. went to chiropractic school, became a chiropractor. And what's amazing, like you said, and all of these other industries and professions, we don't get taught any business. I mean, yeah. it is minuscule if that, right? We get taught our trade, our our service, and we become really good at that. And by the time I got out of school, I realized I knew nothing about being an entrepreneur and I was not able to even sit in that mindset. And you know, the more and more that Sean and I work with other service professionals, it doesn't matter what profession you're in to step into being an entrepreneur is very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I was originally trained as an architect and I remember I did two degrees in architecture and I think I had one credit <laughs> that was essentially about right. law, about limiting like legal liability as an architect, but there was nothing around, you know, how to set up a practice, how to market, how to get business, how to manage clients. I got none of that. And, and, but yet, you know, the, the whole vision as an architect was to go out and, you know, launch a practice, launch an office, have your own, right. have your own uh, business. So it's just, it's baffling to me, you know, that, that, you know, schools, the training is so focused on the technical side of it, but yet we're not, we're given no kind of business sense and business, business process. So, so what, I guess, what did you learn, uh, or I guess what were the takeaways in terms of your experiences as, uh, you know, in, in businesses and technical businesses and seeing the need for, uh, better kind of skills and capabilities around running the practice out of it more than just the 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 technical side of it. Like, what what were the key takeaways, or what what did you see the need as, and and how did you kind of package it or or identify it as something that could be offered? And what you know, basically, I think that there's there's four areas that Lacey and I focus on with our work, and that's marketing and sales. Those are the givens in business, right? Mm-hmm. Marketing and sales. Yeah. And we distinguish that the difference that marketing actually is not the pursuit of or doesn't acquire new clients. What it does is it creates awareness and creates awareness about who you are and what you have to offer the world. And then the selling part, that's where you get clients, right? So then now that I'm aware of you, um, that's great. But now I need to know um, what you have to offer for me. Do you understand me? You know, is your your business, does it help people like me? And then what does it look like to work with you? And then we also focus on two other areas, entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. um, which is all of the these things about being an entrepreneur and one of the big distinctions that we make and, and you know, we, we may dive into this with you is um, yeah. the distinction between being self-employed and being an entrepreneur. <laughs> Good one. <right>? Yes. <laughs> two, two different things. And so we're trying to get people to understand that they need to be an entrepreneur. And then the last is mindset, which, you know, gosh, it's, it's a tough thing because most of us in the service world, we have a service heart. And, yeah. you know, if we had to, we'd give it away for free. Yeah. And the reality is we have bills to pay. And so mindset are around money and how it impacts our relationships with our community, with our clients, and also with those around us, significant others. We do a lot of work there because once you can get that straight, then you can be successful. And you know, one of the things that I think the the, the impetus for this is we've had the ability and the opportunity. We've been super blessed to travel the world and speak to tons of people in the healing arts specifically. And I frankly think that some of the very best clinicians in the world, nobody knows about them. They're just in, they're in their office. They're struggling to make it, to, to, to make things go. Um, they can't make ends meet. And as a result, nobody really gets to experience what they have to offer. And that's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've, I've worked with a couple of different medical practices and, 
And there's certainly this mindset uh, switch evolution that kind of happens where they go from, you know, sort of seeing patients, seeing clients, and and they just they're so driven by the impact that they're having on on these individual folks' lives. And and that's and it's great. And but what ends up happening is they have to make the switch to seeing that the the bigger impact they can make by taking a bigger stance in the business. And rather than just focused on seeing, you know, patient, 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 patient every day, if they can really focus on being a CEO, growing the practice, opening multiple offices, you know, being in different geographies, that if they can see the impact they can have with that, they can kind of scratch that service itch that they have, but at a much bigger level. I'm curious, is that like, do you see that happening in multiple areas? I mean, is is that something that you you see common? I want to, this is a perfect segue to my big takeaway actually is, is it's interesting that you say that because we do see that often. We do see that people have such a passion and a desire to make an impact that they start to move themselves into a new essentially position within their own business. But here's what we found. And the reason we actually stumbled upon this is because much like other successful entrepreneurs out there, I'm sure they can relate. We did a lot of things wrong first (laughs) to figure out how to do it right. Um, And the big takeaway for me was infrastructure before growth. I think that so many people get very excited and they don't have the infrastructure and the systems in place to properly scale their business. And they essentially put the cart before the horse. And that's why you see people that have big hearts, big desires, big passion. Oftentimes they'll open another office or, you know, two offices, and then the whole thing will collapse because yeah. they didn't have the infrastructure in place to sustain it. Yeah. We see that often. Yeah. We talk about uh, scaling problems. <laughs> you know, we don't want to yes. scale problems. Let's fix the problems before we scale. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a big, and is there, I mean, is this, um, is this something that you can just learn? Is this something, I mean, wh- why do you think this is a problem for folks? Why do you think people don't think about the systems and the processes and getting these right before you think about scaling? Is there, mm-hmm. uh, is this just education or is there more than that? Well, you know, I think what it boils down to is, you know, and, and this is hopefully we're touching the hearts of a lot of the listeners here is that when, you know, the, the person that goes out and, and, you know, as you were describing, go to school, you have this dream of opening your your solo practice yeah. and you just decide I'm just going to dive in and I'm going to do it. And so you you jump into your own practice and now we look back and it's, you know, five years later and you are doing well. And so now you decide to enter into this idea of scale. And what happens is, and this is more common than not, and it's actually somewhat humorous, but I I think that all of us can see this in ourselves, is that the reality is, is that you, when you opened your practice, nobody helped you. And so you were, you know, you're like, hey, man, I, I had to learn this myself. I had yeah. to learn from the school of hard knocks. And so what happens is that their strategy for scale is very much the same. It's yeah. I'm going to bring in more people and you're going to you're going to suffer like I did. Yeah. You're, you're going to you're going to learn. And they don't they don't create systems and processes because yeah. they never had systems and processes to get to where they are. And they don't recognize that they don't recognize how important it is. And they have systems and processes. They're just in their own heads. Right. It's yeah. the way that they operate. But they don't want to formalize it and they don't realize that that's the death trap in scaling. Yeah. Yeah. And and so do you think the, do you think the solution or, or how, how do you tease that solution out of them? So if the process is in their head, like how do you get them to realize that? How do you get that process out of their head? And, and what do you put it into? Like how do you externalize this so other people can actually follow it? Well, you know, and there's a lot of ways that we could that we could do that, and I think that it depends on each individual's learning style. It yeah, depends okay. on the culture of your of your clinic. But I think that you know one of our mantras, and and this is a difficult thing because there's you know the dichotomy here that says basically you know successful people have the ability to maintain two seemingly contradicting ideas simultaneously in one's mind. 
And the, the first idea is that, look, there's no one right way to do anything, right? And so yep. we're here speaking from our experience, but never would we think that this is the only way. There's, there's so many ways to, to go about any sort of thing that you'd want to do, any endeavor. But at the same time that I say that, that there's no one right way, I always say, at least in my business or in Lacey and I's business, in our business, that there has to be a way to do everything. And I think that's the first step is there has to be a way to do everything from opening procedures <laughs> yeah. all the way to close. And then the next step is, well, let's document that. One of the best tips that I have come across is, you know, in today's day and age of social media is you could even create your own private Facebook group. Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook has a tool that's called Workplace that you, it has, a, it's a paid service, but you could just make your own Facebook group if, you're, if your business was small enough and we could begin to um, post videos of our employees or any of the key individuals doing their job. Yeah. And we're posting it in secret. And then from there, we could sit down and then dissect what they did. Yep. Um, a great tool called Trainual. You could begin to create, in essence, your own office procedures, your own office manual. And a lot of people think office manual, I think it's like an employee manual, but I'm talking more like a how do you do things. Yeah. Manual. Yeah. Practical guide. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Let's go back to you had a, you had a comment earlier, which I think was a, a good one. I wanted to talk about it a little bit. So the whole idea of and I can't forget how you phrased it, but it was something along the lines: Do you own a business or do you have a job? Give me more. Tell me more about what you mean by that or, or what that means and help explain to the audience. Yeah, and I love that one. You know, a lot of people in the service world go into their business because they were trying to escape either the reality of working nine to five and having a boss or maybe the idea of it. Yeah. And they thought to themselves, well, you know what? I, I would love to someday. I just want to be my own boss. I, I know growing up for me, that was like a cool thing. Like you want to be your own boss. Now, if you are your own boss, all you've really done is translated across. It's sort <laughs> yeah, exactly. of a, a, a horizontal move where rather than have a boss whose name is Joe, now you have you. You're yeah. your boss. And but your attitude is still like I work it from nine to five. I punch in, I punch out. What's nice is I am my own boss. So I really don't get yelled at or scrutinized because I'm my own boss. Now, an entrepreneur is very different because it's not really just being your own boss, because in fact, as an entrepreneur, we actually answer to a lot of people. You know, the, our, our clientele, the community yeah. that we serve becomes our boss. And then as an entrepreneur, it's not a nine to five job. You know, it, <laughs> entrepreneurs are, are logging, you know, tons yeah. of hours. But here's the big difference. And I think that this will really resonate with your listeners is that in the service world, it's a passion. So it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's something we talk about that a lot. Cloaked. It's, it's kind of cloaked, cloaked in this yeah. service. Yeah. Yes. And, it, yeah. and it's, and it's, you know, it's super popular in the, in the entrepreneur world. I'm not, I don't mean to step on any toes, but it's also not a grind, right? It's yeah. not, you know, there, there's this thing that, you know, it, you know, rise and grind. Well, as an entrepreneur in providing a service that you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like grind. It feels like play. Yeah, or or at least it's it's highly purpose driven. I mean, I, I think there is a there, there is a interesting nuance um, in the service in in lots of service roles is that because because there is such a satisfying element of being of service of of helping people of of seeing the impact that you can have on folks that can often either offset or mediate some of the some of the challenges from the business side of it. But there the business issues are still there. Like you still have the challenges of running a business, of making payroll, of, you know, selling, of managing the office, managing the people, like all those things are still there. It's just because you're having this impact, you're kind of willing to do it, I think, a lot more than other businesses. Yeah, and you know, I think that's the, the thing too, is that 
you know, when you talked about that idea of the service, sometimes we get lost in the service. And then yeah. then, then those elements that you talked about, you know, paying the bills, doing payroll, um, being worried about taxes, keeping mm. the books balanced, those things actually become vilified. So a lot of times, you know, mm. service providers actually see that as somewhat like the devil. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I don't, I don't want to do these things because when I'm doing those, I, I'm, I'm actually not being true to my service. Um, I'm not being true to the people that I serve. And now I'm finding myself being this, you know, you know, the, the CEO and being the boss. And again, here's, here's the reality is the, the, the route to serving more people is to be ultra successful. The more successful you are, the greater bandwidth you have, the greater reach you'll have and the greater capacity that you'll actually have to change the world. I think that was part of our biggest revelation. If you really do think you're going to change the world, you're going to need a lot of capital and yeah. resources to do that. Yeah. So talk about that. So I could talk about the, the capital side of it, because I think the sort of the double-edged sword of services businesses, they, they typically are pretty easy to start in the sense that there's not huge, you know, I don't have to go out and buy raw materials and make product and inventory or a lot of R&D. You know, so I, they're kind of easy from a capitalization point of view to start, but they can be very difficult to scale. To, when when do you see or how do you see capital playing a role at what point in a service-based business? Well, obviously, two types of capital, right? So we'd have then the, the financial side of things, but also mm -hmm. we have the human side. And because we are in a service, I think that's one of the limiting factors that a lot of service providers don't consider. Because, you know, most of the time it's it's you that provides the service. We're very big advocates of, and I think that it just is a thought process, that every, every listener should know the ceiling on their business with their current setup. So that would, you know, there also could be infrastructure restraints and, and you know, depending on the service, but it could be, you know, square footage. If we're in a restaurant, the number of tables, the turnover, mm -hmm. um, we need to know the actual limit to what we can do. I think that most service providers are blind to that. Yeah. And then we need to know, okay, so if the limit of what I can service is X number of clients, be it per day, per week, per month, per year, mm -hmm. then we need to know, okay, so when I reach that, have I actually exhausted all of the resources? So that might mean that just me as an individual, that's the max that I could service, but I have the square footage to actually, actually service double that. I would just need another service provider. Yeah. Yeah. We talk so, about, um, I, I don't know if you've You've read uh, the goal and the and Eli Goldratz and the theory of constraints, but that a whole idea that every process, every business is basically the throughput, its ability to produce is limited by a single constraint somewhere in the system. The challenge is finding that constraint. <laughs> it may it may not be obvious or it may not be easily you know seeable at, at from the outset. And, and the problem is if if you improving any other part of the business will not actually improve the overall throughput unless it's the constraint that you're working on. So I like that idea that you know from a service from a like a the restaurant example, you know, if if the if the number of tables is not the constraint, adding more tables won't actually help you grow the business. Like you have to figure out which is the constraint in the business. Good. I got to tell you too, I want to add to that yeah. a major issue in healthcare, which we ran across when we're talking about scaling issues yeah. is a lot of healthcare professions in order to get an injection of financial capital. Uh -huh. Oftentimes that needs to be done by somebody that is licensed within yeah. the profession. Yeah. And so that becomes a unique barrier oftentimes to grow and scale because you need to find number one, somebody that's in alignment and will work the way that you do. Number two has the capital 
capital to invest that's already not doing it in their own business because yeah. they're sharing the same degree as you. Yeah. So that becomes actually a, a, a big problem. So, you know, if you're in the healthcare industry or you're a service professional within healthcare, you really need to understand how to navigate those murky waters of, you know, licensing and setting up proper corporations and to make sure that you can uh, receive, you know, financial injection from somebody else. Yeah, no, certainly a challenge. I mean, this is the whole licensing side. I mean, it's certainly, I, I see it a lot in the medical side. You know, if I'm a dermatologist mm-hmm. and I want to open a bunch more offices, well, I can't just, you know, sell a big chunk of my company to some private equity firm. Right. You know, like I've got to, I've got to make sure that I'm not running amok of my professional licensing you know, standards and practices and, and that allow me to actually practice. So yeah, it kind of an added complexity for most of these service businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, from a strategy point of view, as you begin to kind of scale the service business, how do you, how do you think about the marketing and the customer side? Like how, how do you evolve kind of the sophistication on the marketing strategy and the customer strategy to help fuel the, the growth and the scaling process? Well, through, through our, our viewpoint and mm-hmm. you know what, we did is we created a one successful chiropractic office that utilizes quite a unique model. We practice something called upper cervical. It's a all cash model. Okay. Um, the fees are, are on the high end. Uh-huh. And then we have to consider inside of there. I mean, so that speaks a little bit just in the, the, the structure of the business model. The business model creates some constraints as far as what your ideal client or your target market would be. Uh-huh. But then we need to, you know, drill down a little further and sort of figure out as a company who, who we are meant to serve or who we best work with. You know, obviously there's economic considerations, there's frustration levels, pain points, et cetera. Uh-huh. But one of the things I think is very difficult in the service world is that if we do go to scale and we do open multiple offers. So now when we go to the second office and we bring in new providers and they're working in the second office because they're unique individuals, they may not particularly enjoy working with the same individuals that were in, in you know, let's say the mothership. Mm-hmm. And so the ideal client needs to be loose enough that it will be flexible to allow mm-hmm. A lot of individual providers in the in the model, yep. but it also needs to be tied enough that as a company that we're clear, you know, what we stand for and, and what we're delivering out to the world. And the reason why is because then obviously we want to be able to utilize universal marketing, right? And so yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. If we're not uni- utilizing universal marketing, we we're not really in effect scaling. We just own multiple businesses. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think that's the challenge is we want to. It's really getting honed in on that ideal client and target market. But now we're talking about it through a different lens because we're talking about having it having it tight enough that the company will thrive, but having it loose enough that it allows for individuality in the delivery of the service. Yeah. So tell me more about the book. What else you what else do you cover in the book and what else can people learn by by going through it? Well, first of all, you know, we I, one of the things, the genesis of the book, there is this, uh, well, uh, my ad- admission here, and I saw in some of the, the show notes, uh, sometimes these show up there. So this could be my admission. I'm a, I'm a reality show junkie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love watching reality shows. And my my explanation is I feel like I can learn a lot about human psychology. Yeah. That, that's, that's, my, that's my explanation for it. But <laughs> I remember that- I'm studying. I'm stuff. studying for uh, <laughs> learning here. Yeah. Market research. Yeah, exactly. I love it's, it. Uh, 
there was a show called uh, The Restaurant many years ago, and it detailed uh, – uh-huh. it was a reality show that detailed a chef and their journey in opening a restaurant. And the chef obviously is very talented, you know, very well-known, in essence, a celebrity chef. But at yeah. the end of the series, the restaurant ends up being in dire straits financially. Yeah. Ultimately, the investors having to make a choice and asking the chef to either buy them out uh-huh. or they were going to make a change. Yeah. And I realized there – Watching this, I mean, and and I don't think that's how they thought the show would end, that we had to we had to reach people with this idea of, look, you could be a great chef. And like we discussed before, they're not teaching you how to run a restaurant in culinary arts school. And so the the gist of the book is falling in love with the idea of being an entrepreneur and getting your business tight through having strong marketing systems, strong sales system, which look, I think that's probably the weakest link in service providers because they think that sales means used car salesmen. And they think that, look, I provide a service. Why would I have to sell it? A lot of people think, especially in you know the medical industry, I'm above that. I don't have to sell, yeah, which is yeah. an absolute lie, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's not true. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's learning those skills and then really making sure that, you know, from a business side of things, that you understand what it is that you're getting into as an entrepreneur, that you're building good, solid systems and processes that will be repeatable and allow you to scale and that we're developing a vision and a mindset for success and for abundance. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. Um, and so tell me about how, how you're building your business and, and how you're working with these folks. What is what does your business model look like and how are you scaling the work that you're doing? Yeah, you know, and I love that because from a business model perspective, I think that that's a great question too for each of the listeners to think about to yeah. say, you know, what is your what is your model? Is it does it really represent an investable opportunity? And so our sort of crown jewel here is the specific chiropractic centers. That's our passion. It's a franchise of chiropractic offices that span from Kauai to Boston in the United States. Um, We're currently undertaking some international exploration into Mexico and the Philippines. And so that's our, that's our passion. But just as we talked about, we realized really early on, look, especially because we're performing and providing a highly specialized service, human resource was one of those limiting resources, right? That, you know, we could scale, but we would just have to be putting anybody into these offices to provide. And so we began a, a teaching program. It's called the art of the specific. And so look this for every every listener I think this is vital too. Mm-hmm. You have to know, you know, what it is that you deliver and there has to be a way that you deliver it and there might not be adequate training for that. And so that provided an opportunity there. And then we began coaching some of the people that didn't necessarily go on with us into our franchise. And so we created this thing called the Black Diamond Club, which is basically a a, a mastermind, mm-hmm. a think tank for service providers where we work on on a continual basis those basically four core pillars of marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and mindset. And so all of those things are interrelated. It's not four distinct businesses. They're all interrelated businesses that help to feed ultimately our core business, which is the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and what is your vision? Where are you going to take this? What's, what is the plan for the future? Well, you know, I haven't let go of that. You know, I I think I was 20 years old when I entered into chiropractic college and that idea of changing the world. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we want to see, you know, offices here. Here's my thing is in, in, from a service provider is, is accessibility. So mm-hmm. we would love to see every man, woman, and child on the planet have access. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to acquire, but they have yeah. access to our service. And so that's our goal is to really see if we can make a, a global impact. I don't know if I'll reach it before I die and mm-hmm. our time is limited on the earth, yeah. but that would still be the vision. Yeah. Excellent. That's a great story. I love the, uh, the big picture thinking and, you know, really 
thinking through the processes that you need to put in place to get there. So uh, kudos, good, good work. Um, so uh, any last takeaways for our audience uh, in terms of things to think about or uh, you know, if you're in a service-based business, how to kind of start thinking about the next stage of growth? Yeah, I would say um, one of the biggest things to think about if you're a service professional is to to be very aware of building systems and infrastructure that aren't based around your personality. <laughs> yeah. I can't, yeah. right? And I yeah. see, I think that you can attest to this. There's so many businesses out there that are personality-based businesses. Yeah. And while, yes, we can't take the personality out of the business person, that's always going to be a fundamental and integral part of a business. You need to work really hard if you want to grow on creating systems that anybody can utilize. That's what allows you to scale. They can't be based on who you are as an individual. They need to be a little bit more generic so the next person can come in and start to figure out how to reproduce the same results that you did. And I would say that that's one of the hardest things as a service provider to step away from having it be all based on themselves. And you just can't grow and scale that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's it's very true. And it's tough. It's a tough uh, shift to make. Some people don't successfully do that. I think it's a, right. um, it's, it's a thing that really is a sign of whether or not you're going to be able to grow and scale the business. Sean, Lacey, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about the two of you, about the book, about the work that you do, uh, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah. So our website is seanandlacey.com. S-H-A-W-N and L-A-C-E-Y. I guess we both have somewhat unique spellings, but <laughs> seanandlacey.com yeah. or at blackdiamondclub.com. They could find us there. And in our book on Amazon, none of your business um, is available there through Amazon. Awesome. And I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Sean, Lacey, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time with me today. Oh, it's been fantastic. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.